Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Today, I continue with the Wise Tradition Speaker Series. The conference in Atlanta is less than seven weeks away. My guest today is Sally Fallon Morell, president and founder of the Weston A. Price Foundation. Plus, the desserts will tell you how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. But first, let's go to the appetizers and find out what's happening in the world of real food. A new video has surfaced from the group Organic Spies, where a woman reveals to be a former Whole Foods employee and says that the management at Whole Foods trained its workers to lie to customers about whether the supermarkets carried foods made with genetically modified ingredients. She says before working there, she didn't know what a GMO was. Whole Foods taught her what GMOs are and that they don't carry any foods containing them. Whole Foods has been spotty when it comes to fighting against GMOs. They didn't support Prop 37 in California last year until the very end. They now say they'll have all GMOs labeled by 2018, which some wonder why it will take so long to do that. Hopefully, Whole Foods is coming around in terms of exposing GMOs, but this whistleblower's announcement only adds to disappointment about Whole Foods' efforts against GMOs in the past. In other GMO news, a recent issue of the journal Scientific American had an editorial entitled, Labels for GMO Foods are a Bad Idea. The author of the article claims that mandatory GMO labels would only intensify the misconception that the so-called frankenfoods endangers people's health. The editorial then goes on to say that labeling would only increase the costs of the foods and the labels limit people's options similar to Europe where it's virtually impossible to find GMOs because the consumers avoid them, so the companies have stopped using GMO ingredients. I don't know where to start with all of the ridiculousness of this article that was published in what I used to think was a legitimate scientific journal. As public health lawyer Michael Simon said about the editorial, it reads like the biotech industry handed Scientific American its talking points. Next, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention released a comprehensive report stating that antibiotic resistance in the meat and poultry industry is one of our most serious health threats. The report highlights that superbugs have been able to withstand even the best antibiotics. If you know me, you know that I'm completely opposed to the use of antibiotics in livestock. This recent discovery reveals the flaws in antibiotics. I know it won't completely eliminate the use of them, but perhaps it's a start for big ag in learning the dangers of antibiotics. Also in the meat world, a U.S. district court recently struck down claims that a mandate to inform consumers where cattle are born would violate free speech. Currently, meat imported from other countries only has to put product of and not include the full life cycle of the meat such as when it goes through multiple countries. Not that I recommend buying imported meat, but like GMOs, consumers have the right to know. And finally, as there's a lot of news about food labeling this week, the Natural Resource Defense Council has issued a new report about expiration dates. The report emphasizes that there are no strict definitions or regulations at the federal levels for labeling the expiration dates. Additionally, consumers get confused by the labels of Best Buy, Used Buy, or Best Before. This is one of the many reasons I buy most of my food directly from farmers and try to avoid packaged foods as much as possible. And now for the main course, which today is the 14th annual Wise Traditions Conference. This is an international event that's put on by the Weston A. Price Foundation every November. This year, it'll take place in Atlanta, Georgia from November 7th through 11th. Last week, I interviewed Lisa Bianco Davis about the regional conference in Portland. Over the next seven weeks, you'll be hearing speakers from the Atlanta conference on a variety of different topics that'll be discussed at the conference, from the main theme of holistic therapies for chronic disease, to agriculture, cooking, nutrition, gardening, and natural living. But of course, my first interview will be with Sally Fallon Morell, founder and president of the Weston A. Price Foundation. Sally has also written the cookbook Nourishing Traditions with Western Price co-founder Mary Einig, and earlier this year she released the Nourishing Traditions book of baby and child care that she wrote with Thomas Cowan. I'll be talking with Sally about what we'll be seeing in the upcoming Wise Traditions conference, 
and what else is in the works for the Weston A. Price Foundation in the year to come. Sally, it's such a treat to have you here. Well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you for having me, and we're most grateful for your uh, publicizing our conference. I do, I, I don't like to brag, <laughs> but I do think that this is probably the most important nutrition conference um, in the United States. Um, we pride ourselves on really cutting edge speakers uh, and everything from, you know, very precise hard science to the practical, as you say, the cooking classes and the food preparation classes. I would say you have every reason to brag about this one being the most important. It spoiled me because I've been to other ones before this and the speakers and the exhibitors, they're beyond what you have at the other ones. I agree with every speaker that's there and every exhibitor and vendor, they fit into the Western Price Guidelines. So everyone is one that I would buy from. At other conferences, I've been to ones where, don't get me wrong, they do great lectures and courses and they have great exhibitors, but you do have to work your way through what I call the health washing. <laughs> well, yes, we're very careful. It's uh, exhibiting is uh, you have to be approved to be an exhibitor, and we say no to lots of lots of uh, people who want to be exhibitors. They they have to be providing products, mostly food products, that are in our guidelines, and um, and our exhibitors love this conference too. They say it's the best conference that they do all year long. And we'll talk shortly about what we're going to be seeing more at this conference. But before we do that, why don't you give us a little background about how you discovered real food and natural living oh. and went on to form the Weston A. Price Foundation? Well, my goodness, I have always been interested in cooking and uh, became very interested in nutrition as I was growing up. Probably for one thing, because I had a lot of health problems and was looking for answers. And I read many, many books on the subject, and it was the book by Weston Price the, called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration that came up tops for me. It was a real life-changing book for me. Uh, I read it when I was starting out with my own family, and I raised my children on this kind of diet, um, a diet, very nutrient-dense diet with plenty of good fats, butter, cream, egg yolks. I, my kids got cod liver oil. They got liver. Sometimes I just hid it in their food. <laughs> and um, they were very healthy. I, I, you know, I had to prove this to myself first, does this work? And for one thing, they did braces, and I had needed braces. Uh, they were just much healthier than I had been growing up. So I sort of proved this to myself. Uh, the next step was writing the book Nourishing Traditions, which was an attempt to take Dr. Price's discoveries and put them into practical form uh, for the kitchen. And then in 1999, uh, Dr. Ennig and myself and my husband, Jeffrey Morell, and Tom Cowan, the doctor from San Francisco, we set up the Weston A. Price Foundation to provide accurate information on nutrition and to show the scientific validation for traditional food waste. So that was in 1999, and we had our first conference in spring of 2000. We had 75 people in a church basement, <laughs> and you can see how it's grown. Now it's an international conference. It's a different city every year, and we have at least 1,500 attendees. That leads me into one of the questions that I had. I remember last year at the banquet, you were saying that last year's conference had by far the most people than it had in previous years. What are you expecting for a turnout this year? Uh, well, I'm not quite sure. We, we have a, a cutoff of 1,200 for the banquet, but certainly 1,500 people. And we are opening the um, uh, exhibit hall for free to anyone who wants to come see the exhibits. We have day passes. We've added really a full fourth day, which is uh, Monday. We're having a track on raw milk on Monday, plus farm tours and, and other interesting things going on, cooking classes. So I think when we add it all up, it, it will be in excess of 1,500 people. So the exhibit halls can be accessed by anyone, even the ones that haven't registered for the conference? Uh, you know, they need to register, but they don't have to pay. We like to capture your email. <laughs> I think the exhibit halls are a great gateway to learn what yes. they're about. And I imagine a lot of people, when seeing who's exhibiting there, would want to be interested in learning more and attending some of the conferences. Well, 
we, we hope so. And of course, we'll have a very large table for the Weston A. Price Foundation. You can pick up a lot of our free literature and hopefully that will inspire you to become a member. And you'll also have a table there for the New Trends Publishing so people can yes. some of the books. Yes, and I'll have my new book, The Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care and all the other titles that I publish. And um, I, the first day of the conference, Friday, is our seminar day. We actually have, uh, we have five tracks that day, but uh, three of them are seminars with the same speaker all day long. And one of them is my seminar, which is my seminar on traditional diets. And that's a very good place to start if you are new to all this, is to come to my seminar. It's, it's really for the beginners. But we also have Louisa Williams on natural therapies for uh, uh, treating chronic disease and a wonderful lecturer from MIT. This is where we get really into the science. Stephanie Senoff, who is going to be looking at sulfur and chronic disease. Uh, we also have on that day a farming track and a cooking track. So as I say, we always try to combine the practical with the scientific. And the main track is holistic therapies right. for chronic disease. What made you decide to have that as a topic? Uh, well, it just seemed like we had a lot of speakers who could address this topic. And it was not a topic that we had done before, so it seemed like a good good one to do. It was actually the board of directors came up with the, uh, the idea. And we, uh, so on Saturday, Saturday's the main day, we have a plenary session, you know, which is, um, uh, we have actually fewer tracks that day. So most of the people will be in the plenary session. We're going to talk about heart disease. Uh, we're going to talk about um, uh, epilepsy, type 1 diabetes, bipolar disorder. And we're going to talk about natural therapies for all of these uh, conditions. Uh, we also have two speakers on cancer on Saturday. In the morning, uh, we have Tom Cowan, who treats cancer holistically in his practice in San Francisco, and Nick Gonzalez, who many of you have probably heard of, who treats cancer with great success in uh, New York. And these two doctors are not using chemotherapy or radiation, they're using natural therapies. And on Sunday, I see you have a whole track on cancer with things such as using kombucha to treat cancer and preventing breast cancer. And I see those are with some of the people that appeared on this show, Deborah Gordon, Hannah Crum. I thought that track sounds very fascinating that there's a whole day you can spend learning about different holistic cures for cancer. Yes. Now, you know, cancer is a big subject and lots of people have cancer. And this would be a very good conference to come to if you if you have cancer or a loved one have cancer has cancer because we have two whole tracks on cancer one on Saturday and one on Sunday and what are some other speakers that attendees should be excited about well dr. Joe Mercola is going to be a speaker and he is going to talk about the failed drug approach to health care and some safer and more effective strategies so he's a very big name I don't know if you've heard of Don Huber. He is a retired PhD who has been warning the public about Roundup, and that's the herbicide that's been used in all of these uh, genetically modified crops. We are going to have a, a, a second track on chronic disease on Sunday. We'll talk, be talking about a thyroid disease, um, um, there's something called blood deficiency, which is a, a Chinese concept. Um, we're going to be talking about fiber. We're going to talk about um, environmental toxicities. Uh, we have a track on native ways. We try to have a track on this subject at every conference because we are about native ways. And uh, we will be talking about the Arctic, Slovenia, um, wild foods. So there's really something for everyone. We have several speakers on vaccines and the dangers and toxicities of vaccines. The Native Ways is a great track that you have. I went to some of those last year, and it is one of the ones that really appeals to me. And it's a lot of ways that I got involved with eating more organic and traditionally and with the Weston A. Price Foundation, because a thing that Weston Price promotes is eating every part of the animal, which is, I couldn't think of anything more of a Native Way than that. Yeah, yeah. And did you see them making the acorn porridge last year? Oh, yes. I <laughs> love that because I'd never heard of it before. I said only at a Wise Traditions conference would I be eating acorn, but it was such a treat. 
Yeah. Um, you know, if you grow up in California, you learn about acorn in the fourth grade. Everybody learns about the Indians making acorn and how they leached, uh, you know, they uh, had to get the tannins out of the acorn before they prepared the acorn porridge. And I, I've never forgotten that. Maybe it's why I'm so interested in proper grain preparation because all traditional cultures consumed grains and nuts and <coughs> legumes. Most, let's say, most traditional cultures did, uh, but only after very careful preparation. And that's a good segue for me into our food at the conference. Maybe you want to say something about the food first. Oh, yes, because that was another question that I had for you. The food is excellent. Aside from the speakers and the excellent exhibitors, of course, the food is a major attraction, and there are a number of traditions I know that you have at the conference. One is the cheesecake, which I love, and there's also the organ meatloaf, I think is a great thing to talk about. You talked about how you would sneak liver into your kid's food, and <laughs> meatloaf is a great way to introduce people to eating liver that aren't already doing so. I think that's the key to getting people to eat liver is mixing it in with some ground beef. I do a similar thing. I mix some liver into my ground beef and make it chili and there's a number of recipes you can do i know a lot of local farmers that i see at the farmers markets in order to get people to eating more organ meats they'll make a mix of ground beef and liver yes yes or heart and kidney and well we really pride ourselves on our food uh because i i feel that if you're having a conference the foods should reflect your food philosophy and we as we are uh, an omnivore diet, uh, as you know, we were talking about earlier, and so we have everything at our diet. We have sourdough bread. We have lacto-fermented foods like sauerkraut. We have wonderful bone broth soups and stews. Uh, we have great desserts made with natural sweeteners, and uh, it's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge, and not every meal turns out well. We've had a few disasters over the years, but... Uh, we really like to show people that this kind of diet is not a diet of renunciation. It's a diet that can include practically everything. We include salt, fats, uh, pickled foods, um, sweet foods, grains, legumes, everything is included in our diet. I know another great thing that people have access to at the dinners is raw milk and some of the raw milk cheese because in California, I'm able to access it other states, people aren't so lucky, and here, everyone will be able to have the pleasure of eating milk that's not pasteurized. Uh, well, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I have to stop you there. Uh, oh, okay. We have been able to provide raw milk at some conferences, Pennsylvania, California, but we won't be able to provide it in Georgia. We don't want to get anybody in trouble. But we'll, we will have raw cheese for sure. Oh, you will have the raw cheese. Oh, absolutely, yes. That's good. I know at every conference there's a little bit of a challenge as far as the food rules for that state, such as last year in California that you weren't able to charge people for the breakfast. Are there any challenges that you hit holding it in Atlanta this year? Um, we haven't encountered those kinds of bureaucratic or administrative challenges, but we do have the, the raw milk challenge. We will not be able to sell raw milk at the conference. Yeah, it's uh, the only way you can get raw milk in Georgia is as pet milk. So um, we, we have to be careful there. Yeah, I can certainly see that you have to watch how you handle that. But hopefully holding it there will raise awareness of the people from Atlanta and from Georgia to do some activism yes, as far as legalization absolutely. of raw milk there. Well, one of the things that's new this year, and we're going to be doing this every year, is we're going to have a raw milk track on Monday. Uh, we had been doing raw milk symposiums around the country, and it just um, got to be uh, a little bit of a burden to put on yet another conference. So we've decided to make that part of the Weston A. Price Foundation Conference. And so we will have uh, four speakers on Monday, uh, including Dr. Bars from Europe, who will be talking about the latest research on raw milk there. Uh, we will have the author of a new book called Raw Milk, The Story of Milk, Revered, Repurposed, and Repackaged. We will have Ted Beals, who is an expert on raw milk safety, and then Pete Kennedy, who will talk about the legal developments in raw milk access. So um, 
if you're interested in the subject of raw milk, you want to become an activist, uh, that would be uh, the place to, it would be good to stay for the Monday part of the conference. In addition to what we have coming up with the Wise Traditions Conference, what are some other developments that the Weston A. Price Foundation is working on for the upcoming year? Well, uh, something that's new in the last two years is our regional conferences. We uh, now have two regional conferences a year, and these are much smaller events, fewer speakers, much more geared to the newcomer. Um, they, we only have two tracks each day. We'll have regional conferences in uh, April and September of next year. We haven't announced the, the place yet. Uh, we also have a, a, an annual conference in London, and that's going to be in February of 2014. So if you go to westonaprice.org, uh, you can get all the details of these conferences. The other thing that has been exercising us in the last year is the wonderful opportunity that's been put in our laps to have access to a full-fledged research laboratory. This is the laboratory that's been run by Dr. Fred Kumaro for the past 50 years. Dr. Kumaro's in his late 90s. He was the researcher who first discovered the dangers of trans fats. He has been arguing for decades that cholesterol is not the cause of heart disease. He's really someone on our side. And he wants this lab to continue. Uh, and we would like to be the ones who continue running this laboratory when, if and when Dr. Kumaro retires. <laughs> uh, so we have talked to the University of Illinois and they basically, which is where this lab is located, and they basically said if you can pay the employees, uh, you can do whatever you want there. You can, you can have it basically. So we have been trying to raise money and so far we've raised about $150,000 this year. We really need to raise $300,000. And if you go to our website, westonaprice.org, there's a donate button uh, for this research. One of the things that we're doing there is uh, paying for the postdoctorate of Chris Masterjohn. And many of you know who Chris is. He is one of our bloggers on our website. He's one of our best speakers. It is Chris who has shown the scientific validation of the um, high levels of what we call fat-soluble activators, vitamins A, D, and K, that are in these uh, traditional diets that Dr. Price discovered in these traditional diets. So uh, we're, he's, Chris is there right now uh, working on a project looking at vitamin K and heart disease. So exactly what we always wanted to do, has this is a terrific opportunity for us, uh, to do it at a, an extremely reasonable cost, but it has still been a challenge to raise the funds that we need. So um, I'm, I'm do, doing a little uh, fundraising here right now just to urge your listeners to make a donation. Definitely. I put out a little thing about that too at the end of my show, letting people know that you're doing funds for it now. And Chris Masterjohn is amazing. I've had him as a guest on my show and that seems to be how a lot of people are familiar with it. They see my name, they see the appropriate omnivore, and they say, I know you. I remember your interview with Chris Master, John. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, Chris is just amazing. Uh, he was an answer to a prayer because, you know, we had all this work by Weston Price showing the great, very high levels of vitamins A, D, and K in traditional diets. And Chris has unearthed the science or... Uh, put together the science to show why these vitamins are so important and why it's important to have them together as a balance. And he's shown us that these vitamins can be actually toxic if taken separately. And as he's often a speaker at the Wise Traditions, I know he's going to be speaking this year in the Curing the Incurable session, and he'll be talking about beyond cholesterol, fat-soluble vitamins, and the prevention of heart disease. Typically, he does a presentation on fat-soluble vitamins is this going to be one that's going to be modified a little to fit the theme of curing the incurable? Yes, and also I think he will be talking to us about his research that he's doing at the University of Illinois that we are funding, that we are supporting. So that's very exciting for us as well. You know, our three uh, mission statements are education, uh, research, and activism. Well, we've been in education and activism for almost 15 years now. 
but the research is not something we've been able to do until recently. And I, I just feel the universe is looking out for us to make this possible. I love that you have those three pillars, if you may call them education, research, activism, because those are all very important. And education is certainly one which is done with Western Press and there are other groups talking about the benefits of saturated fat. I think research and activism are ones, though, that you don't see a lot of other groups doing. No other group has been able to fund a program at a college. And the activism also, I can't think of any other group that has local chapters like Weston Price does. Right. And we're very proud of our local chapter system. We have over 500 chapters worldwide. Many of the chapter leaders will be at the conference, including quite a few from Europe. And the uh, local chapters, what they do is they keep a food resource list. So, you know, we're talking about grass-fed animal foods, raw milk. People ask, where do you get these? And our chapter leaders can help you find these foods. We feel that everyone who's interested in food should have a relationship with a farm where they can get a lot of these pastured animal products. And our chapters help you do that. In addition, many of the chapters hold um, uh, regular meetings. They do potlucks. They have classes. Some of our chapters have been very active in campaigning for raw milk and uh, other health freedoms in their states. A few months ago, I became co-leader of the chapter in Pasadena. I've been involved with them for a little over a year and then joined on board as co-leader. And we've been one where since we've been founded in 2010, we've had meetings every month and they really are a great thing to introduce new members to what the Weston A. Price Foundation is all about, learning about the food. And we have had all kinds of great speakers and we also do movie nights, and we even do ethnic nights because we see that along the lines of Dr. Price going to different cultures and learning about their foods. We like to do nights where we talk about another culture and talk about how their foods can be made traditionally. Wow, I'm I'm most impressed. It sounds like a great chapter. And you're right. This First of all, people need to be educated about fats. They have been subjected to 100 years of Uh, propaganda demonizing saturated fats, animal fats, and tropical oils. And these are the very fats that we need to eat to be healthy. So people need to get over their uh, reservations or even their feeling of guilt. (laughs) I had a lot of people tell me they felt guilty when they ate butter. Uh, So they need to get over that. And our chapter meetings can help you. It's sort of like fat recovery sessions, you know. And then... um, We have so many uh, new ideas. They're really ancient ideas, but they're new to uh, the Western world about how to prepare food and what we need to do to make our food nutrient-dense and healthy. And so these are also introduced at the chapter meetings. No guilt for me when I ate butter again, because that was one of the first things that I did after discovering the Western Price Foundation. I'd learned about how butter was good for you. And I was so glad to drop that awful smart balance. Forgot (laughs) how great butter tasted. Yeah. 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 We've been really to, to think that these manufactured products, smart balance, I can't believe it's not butter. All of these spreads are healthy for us when, you know, even bugs won't eat them. They won't even grow mold. They're so uh, inert and uh, non-life supporting. So Uh, We need to get back to the real fats. And it gets me how anyone would think smart balance is good or as Sarah Pope refers to it, stupid balance, because (laughs) it's made of vegetable oils, which no one really looks at vegetable oils as healthy. If you think about it, we don't look at French fries cooked in vegetable oil as healthy. So why is this vegetable oil, when you take it, harden it and add some artificial coloring and a lot of artificial preservatives, how does that come out to be a health food? Yeah, I know, I know. But we've so been so barraged with the propaganda, uh, people are just afraid to eat the real fast. And that's what Weston Price and my show and many leaders in the foundation are about. We're going to talk more about that, but first, a word from our sponsors. To Your Health Sprouted Flour Company offers organic sprouted grains and flours for all your baking needs. We have more than 34 sprouted products, hundreds of recipes, and are always available to answer your flour and baking questions. Whether you're making sourdough breads, French baguettes, birthday cakes, granola, or pancakes, 
Lettuce be your sporadic grain and flour source. Certified organic and kosher, featuring 20 gluten-free sprouted products. And for the month of July, you get free shipping on orders of 15 pounds or more. Go to the website organicsproutedflour.net or call toll-free at 877-401-6837 to start shopping. What is a healthy diet? Conflicting information is thrown at us daily. Help chart your course to wellness with a steady guide, the Weston A. Price Foundation. Our nutrition and health information is helping many families recover from degenerative disease and nutrient deficiencies. Join for only $40 a year and receive our quarterly journal. Visit our website, westonaprice.org, for more details. Olea Estates Olive Oil has been produced by the Cronus family on a small estate in Sparta, Greece since 1856. The olives are all certified organic and hand-picked. The oil is cold-pressed within 30 minutes and is extra virgin with an acidity of 0.24. I use Alea for all my olive oil needs, cooking, baking, salad dressing, hummus, and much more. Alea is distributed in the U.S. by Carl Berger. All products can be ordered on the website oleastates.com or by contacting Carl by email k-a-r-l at oleastates.com. And we're back. You're listening to The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. I'm interviewing Sally fallon Morell, founder of the Weston A. Price Foundation. We've been talking about what people can expect at the upcoming Wise Traditions Conference in Atlanta this November. And we've been talking about the mission of the Weston A. Price Foundation as far as education, research, and activism, what local chapters are doing, and some of the challenges that we face as far as what we've been brainwashed to believe about what's healthy. Sally, what are some other challenges that you face in terms of getting people to believe about the benefits of saturated fat and why we need to eat real traditional food? Well, I think there's, uh, each, each individual has, a, they're in a certain place, okay? And most people actually just are not ready for this message. And their eyes kind of glaze over when you talk about eating butter or they laugh and they think you're crazy to eat butter or that you're indulgent. <laughs> so uh, we sort of wait for people to come to us. Uh, we're there when people, when the light bulb turns on, some people, it just happens sort of out of the blue. And for some people, it's their children are not healthy, and they suddenly realize that these children need good fats. Some people discover us through our website. Um, and so I, I like to say that when you are ready, we are there for you. We are not going to come out and try to convince you to eat butter until you're ready <laughs> to eat butter because uh, it doesn't work. I remember once I was giving a talk and a woman came up to me and she said, oh, that was so interesting. I would like for you to speak to my women's group. They need to hear this. And I said, really, I don't think you want me to speak to your women's group. They would just be resentful. Uh, it would make them angry. And I said, if, when they're ready, they'll come to me. Makes sense. That was how I discovered it. Mm -hmm. I had found out about it at the Green Festival a couple of years ago. Oh, is that right? Yeah. 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 Through Victoria Block and Anne-Marie mm -hmm. Michaels. They were running a booth, and I've actually been doing the blog, The Appropriate Omnivore, before discovering Weston Price. I was into some of the principles as far as organics, pasture meats, raw yeah. milk, and probably had read some stuff from the Weston Price Foundation, not realizing where it had come from. Yes, yes. But I still subscribe to some of the mainstream propaganda, eat meat in moderation, yeah. eat mostly plants, and what happened was... I was invited to this panel at the Green Festival on vegan nutrition, and I was sitting there and not agreeing much with it. And I had seen that the Weston Price Foundation was at the conference. I had known a little about them, so I went to check out their booth, and the rest is history. Oh, very good. Well, we're grateful for the interviews you do. For me, like I was saying, it did come to me, and I do have a lot of trouble getting people into it. And some of my colleagues have said, well, you can't push people into it. They have to want to be interested and it has to come to them more organically, major pun intended. Yeah. And if you're just a little bit interested, you know, if your interest is peaked, 
uh, and want to know more, I think these conferences are a great way to start. One of the most frequent pieces of feedback that I get is the networking that goes on, how wonderful that is. You really meet like-minded people. Every hotel we've been in has been amazed at just how friendly our people are. We're very talkative. Uh, there's just uh, a, a great feeling at all the meals. Nobody feels left out. There's, you know, we're a very welcoming group. I would absolutely add networking as another major benefit of the conference. I remember when I attended last year, I met all of these speakers and exhibitors, and my show for the next maybe two or three months was packed with almost all people that I met that were either exhibitors or speakers, or some people just attending that I would see out in the exhibit hall, walking into a conference, or eating at one of the meals and getting to know who they were. So. Networking is another plus of the conference. I want to get back a little into other challenges and was interested to know, do you think that some of these government organizations, just as the FDA and the USDA and some of the restrictions that they're trying to put on our food freedom are a challenge to getting the message out and promoting what you do? Yes, definitely. Uh, starting with USDA, you know, the USDA has these dietary guidelines, which are a joke. They're, they're a total joke. Uh, they are not geared to making people uh, healthy. They are, you know, low fat, high carb. You know, this is being pushed in all the schools in, uh, you know, starting very young children. These diets are imposed in schools and in um uh, nursing homes, they are, you know, this is what is taught in the classroom. And then when you get to junior college or college, uh, this is how nutrition is being taught. So we basically have to undo all this uh, when people find us. And there's a, a definitely a huge movement behind teaching people the wrong thing. So um, absolutely. And FDA, of course, is... Um, Basically, USDA and FDA, they're opposed to small farms. They're opposed to farms with animals on them. They're opposed to grass-based farming, mixed farming. Uh, they won't perhaps come right out and say that, but their policies make it very difficult to do this kind of farming. We're particularly concerned right now with FDA coming up with the regulations for the Food Safety Modernization Act which will make it extremely difficult for small farmers to do produce. It's just an absolute nightmare on what they're proposing. One of the things that really scares me about what the FDA is proposing is this recent law that they don't want chickens to be kept outdoors because they feel that outdoor chickens raises the risk of salmonella. And if they're not raised properly, yeah, that could happen. To me, that sounds a lot like really how the whole pasteurization of milk was started. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, blame it on the you know the the solution, which is that pastured chicken. Uh, the the place where the problem is is these huge uh, confinement chicken operations with far too many birds under one roof and exposed to uh, fecal particles in the air and everywhere all day long. Uh, that would make people sick and it makes the chickens sick, but they want to blame something coming in from the outside. They don't want to think it's their fault. And so they have focused on birds <laughs> uh, flying in like some red winged robin will fly in and drop some salmonella that it got from an outdoor chicken. And this is just absolutely ridiculous. Getting our birds outside again on pasture is the solution to this problem. But, of course, they want to uh, use the problem that they created to get rid of their competition. And these chickens that are kept indoors, that includes the ones that you see, such as the ones labeled as cage-free and free-range. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and organic, it's all indoors. It's all indoors. Now, what our chapters do is help people find chickens who are raised outside, tell you where the farmers are who are doing this right, and then you can buy eggs directly from the farmers. That's still something we can do is buy eggs <laughs> and meat directly from farmers. So we want to support the farmers doing this. We can do that. We can also have backyard chickens. I see that as a growing trend. Yes, uh, and that's something we also highly encourage. The more food sufficient we can be, the better. A lot of our members own a cow. And they have, you know, five acres, ten acres, and they have a family cow so they can get raw milk. 
family cows. That's another way. And I know also other people have ducks. And I'm amazed also at some of these people that have these animals. A lot of them have full-time jobs as doctors yeah. and therapists. So saying that you don't have the time, that's not an excuse. People really want to get back to the land. We have, you know, technology is great. I'm not against what's happened to modernize our world, to get us, you know, indoor plumbing and computers and telephones and all that. Uh, electricity, I mean, we are, I don't think anyone's against electricity. But um, I think there's a sense that we've gone too far, or we've become too materialistic, too mechanistic, and people really do want to get back into contact with the land. If only buying food from a farmer who's doing things uh, on pasture. But lots of people are uh, fleeing the cities and um, I, I would say even fleeing the suburbs and getting out into areas where they can have a little bit more land. That's a good way to put it is we've gone too far because we're not technophobic. There are great advancements that we've gotten through technology with things such as electricity, but we can't go too far in the direction of losing our traditional, our native ways. Yeah, I, I mean, human beings need that contact with nature very much uh, to be healthy, to be sane. And uh, I think we've come to realize that. And we were talking earlier about the USDA and the type of restrictions that they're putting on our food. And here's the interesting thing is that a long time ago, the USDA actually used to put out these ads that said, Uncle Sam expects you to keep hens and raise chickens. Yes, yes. And they also uh, had... Um, especially during the war, they were encouraging people to eat um, what they called variety meats, which was organ meats. Paul Grieve of Primal Pastures, who has a farm which is mainly for chicken and lamb, but they're doing a fundraising campaign to get cows and they like to get some other animals too. They like to even get into producing raw milk. They showed us that sign of the Uncle Sam at a chapter meeting a couple months ago and when people saw that, they were just amazed to see what the government used to be like in terms yes. of they did for our food. You know, this uh, industrialization of the food supply, the industrialization of animal uh, agriculture, putting animals inside is and taking them off the land is something that's sort of happened uh, behind our backs without people even realizing that it's going on. And for us, the main problem with this, and of course, we don't like the cruelty and the filth and the environmental problems, but for us, the main problem is that when you put these animals inside, get them off of green grass and out of the sunlight, they are no longer sources of these uh, important fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, and K. Animals make A and K out of green grass and then make vitamin D out of the sunlight. And we have very widespread deficiencies in these vitamins, even though people may be eating the same foods because these animals are now raised inside. And when it comes to these pastured meats that we're able to get access to, I know some people who will say they're eating pastured meats and they're able to not be a vegetarian anymore, which <laughs> I can understand what they're feeling, but... In some ways, I have to wonder, although I personally believe everyone can access pastured meats, it's not that hard. You just have to look, go to farmer's markets, maybe go a little outside your area. I live in L.A. where I'm privileged, so I don't know quite how it is in smaller cities. But the question that comes to my mind is, is conventional meat better than no meat at all? Well, you definitely need animal foods, and I think you need to be very practical. Uh, uh, just for example, we travel a lot, my husband and I. Uh, there's no way that we can always get grass-fed meat when we travel. We still eat meat. Uh, some people, have their only access is the supermarket, and we tell them, you still need the meat. You still need eggs. Buy, you know, Shop the edges, buy eggs and cheese and butter and cream and... Um, Calf's liver, calf's liver is better than beef liver. Um, so, you know, you, you have to just make do when you don't have access to pastured animal products. But that's the goal for those types of products to be available to everyone. And a thing I like about your Wise Tradition Shopping Guide, which you give to all members and it's updated yearly, is you have two parts for each category. You have the best, which are the foods they can get impossible. And then I like that you do also the good where they may not meet all the guidelines, 
but they are better than the conventional stuff. Yes. And then you end each section with what they should avoid. Well, you were talking about a uh, thing or asking about new projects. One, a very exciting project for us is that we're turning this shopping guide into an app. And we will have a table about this at our Atlanta conference. And we hope that the app will be available in January. I'm eagerly looking forward to that. I remember when you brought it up at the banquet last year. And I was so excited to hear that that's happening. And that was one of the questions actually I had. You worked very well into that because I wanted to know about the development of it. Yeah, it's, it's coming along fine. We were, we were just talking about some of the artwork the other day. So I uh, a lot of this is... Uh, incomprehensible to me. I actually am one of these strange people who doesn't even have a cell phone, but um, everyone's very excited about the app. And this will allow instant updates. Um, people will be able to, there'll be maps on it, interactive maps where you can see where you can get these products. People can report, oh, I found this brand of cracker at the store. And uh, so we think it'll create a huge buzz and hopefully really increase our membership. I think so. Digital, that's the way it's going, and a lot of people now, they're married to their cell phones, so oh, yeah. by being able to find out about Western Price through the cell phones, <laughs> any way you can reach them, I think is good. And I think this will be a unique product. There's nothing like it out there. Uh, we had an investor come along who wanted to do this, and so it's just wonderful. That is, and in addition to this and the conference is coming up, do you have any writings in the works that we can expect? Yes, uh, Kayla Daniel and I are doing a book on broth. It's, it's tentatively titled Nourishing Broth. Uh, it's being published by Grand Central Publishers, so not, wise, not New Trans, but what I would call a real publishing company. Uh, it's just about finished. We've just about finished the, the draft of the manuscript, and uh, Kayla has done the front part of the book with all the science, and she has uncovered some amazing things about the uh, benefits of broth in the diet, gelatin-rich bone broth. And then I'm doing the recipes in the back section of the book. So we're very excited about this book. I think it will be out in fall of 2014. Broths are another great thing. And that was another thing that I totally discovered through Weston Price Foundation was beginning to make my own soups, realizing that I shouldn't be eating these soups that have all these awful vegetable oils in it and there's so many great advantages with broths health-wise, and also it goes back to the native ways by using every part of the animal, using the bones left Absolutely. over to make a broth. Yeah. And yeah. it's gotten me to not buy the skinless and boneless meat anymore. I buy the meat and just save the buy bones, the make the broth. You know, the very first question we ask when we, and of course we have to find good hotels to do our conference. The very first question we ask is, does your kitchen make broth? And we will not put a conference in a hotel where they don't actually make the original bone broth. Interesting. Are there other requirements that you ask from the kitchens as far as for the food you're going to be serving? Well, we ask if they can take food donations because a lot of our food is donated. Our grass-fed meats are donated. Our wild fish is donated. And we have a lot of other things that's donated. So that's another requirement. Uh, and will they work with us on the meals? For example, we provide a lacto-fermented condiment with every meal, and we these are normally donated, so the, the kitchen doesn't have to make them. But you know, we ask, are you willing to serve these? So we're such a big conference; we usually sell out the hotels, and it's on a weekend that is not a particularly good weekend for hotels. So they're usually very happy to work with us. What are some of the food donations they've gotten for this year's conference? Well, we are going to do a carpaccio uh, for the banquet. We've had that donated. Uh, we've had uh, shrimp donated. We have uh, wild salmon for the brunch on Sunday is donated. Uh, the pastured chicken, chicken livers are all donated. Cheese is all completely donated. Um, um, U.S. Wellness Meats uh, donates, um, always donates a lot, and particularly their organ meats. They have uh, liverwurst and pate and products like that that they uh, donate for us. We have kombucha donated. We have herbal iced tea uh, donated by a company called Soothing Infusion. <laughs> so butter is donated. Uh, bread is donated. So as you can see, we have 
you know, it's not 100%, but I would say 80% of the food is donated. In addition to the food served at the meals, people can also buy a lot of these foods by the vendors, which is something that your conference has, which some of these other natural products conferences, I know they won't allow you to sell. And I think that that's great that people have the opportunity to buy these foods from the exhibitors, especially like we were talking about, not everyone has access to all this real food in their areas. And if you're driving, be sure to bring a big cooler. <laughs> oh, yeah. When, and we'll, you know, there'll always be ice available. Uh, one of the things we do is after the last meal, we actually sell the leftovers. And a lot of people buy those. So. And the last meal, that's on Sunday? Well, we have our brunch on Sunday. Uh, that's the last meal of the main conference. But we also have lunches on Monday, which, of course, is now, I guess you'd say, is part of the main conference. But... Uh, at the end of the day on Sunday, when most people are going home, we have we're, this year we're going to have a panel discussion. Uh, we have some drawings, raffle drawings, and then we have the sale of uh, some of the food left over, a lot of butter and cheese and pate and things like that. And another thing that I noticed that you're doing at the conference, which is a little different this year, because you have the Farm to Consumer fundraiser every year, but this year it's going to be a little bigger because you're doing the Lincoln-Douglas-style debate with Joseph Mercola and... Joel Salatin on regards to whether government should require mandatory GMO labeling. Yes, that's going to be very interesting, and that's Thursday evening. So Thursday is actually a seminar with Joel Salatin, the uh, famous uh, grass-based farmer. That is part of a fundraiser for the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund, and then Thursday night is their fundraising dinner and this wonderful debate between Joe and Joel. So that is going to be very, very interesting. And we'll be talking more about that a little next week because the guest next week is Pete Kennedy, who's president of Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund, Western Price's sister organization. Now, you're on the board also for that. So what is your involvement with Farm to Consumer? Well, uh, I guess I'm in a way the founder because uh, what, what was happening as we were promoting raw milk and more and more farmers were doing raw milk, we began to get calls from desperate farmers who were being harassed or who'd gotten into legal situations. And the Weston A. Price Foundation is not a, um, um, a legal organization. We're not a legal defense fund. And so we thought that this is what we needed. We wanted a farm-to-consumer legal defense fund uh, modeled on the Homeschool Legal Protection Association. So we set that up in 2007. Uh, the Weston A. Price Foundation sort of bankrolled it the first year. And now they are off and running. They have provided legal defense for dozens of farmers we had some very important victories. And I, I like to say that this organization has leveled the playing field for small farmers. You know, people don't, um, the bureaucrats don't automatically mess with the small farmer anymore because they know they have to contend with the legal defense fund. Nice. It's great work that you do too with the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. That's also very important. So you'll be able to get to know that organization. They always have a big booth. And uh, as I say, um, if you include their day, which is Thursday, we actually have a five-day conference now. And they also have their fundraiser breakfast, which I love the food there. Getting real farm eggs is a treat. And soaked oatmeal with butter and maple syrup and, and so forth. Yes, all of that is good. And speaking of eggs and finding pastured eggs, I hear that even you've had a problem with finding soy-free eggs. <laughs> Uh, they're hard to find. As you know, we're one of the main voices talking about the dangers of soy, and we're concerned even about soy and the diet of animals because the isoflavins, the plant-based estrogens, which cause thyroid problems, endocrine disruption, and so forth, uh, do come through in the yolks and the fat of the animals. So we are very much concerned about soy and the diets of animals. Well, uh, I guess you could say my solution was to raise my own. Um, my husband and I now own a farm, and we raise completely soy-free animal foods. Soy-free. We make cheese. Our, our cows don't get any soy. Our chickens don't get soy. Our pigs don't get soy. So a lot of people are very grateful for that. And, and we're kind of, we feel like we're pioneers to see how it could be done. Um, how it can be done economically. I mean, it's been a challenge because it's much cheaper to raise animals on soy. They grow faster and the soy is subsidized. What have you found so far to be the key to feeding them and to be able to produce enough eggs? 
Well, we, we give them field peas instead of soybeans. You do need to give them a legume. Uh, we're hoping that uh, locally, we're in Southern Maryland, that we're trying to get farmers to raise the, the native legume, which is a black-eyed pea. Uh, we give a lot of minerals. We do give some fish meal, and our animals are outside on pasture, so they're getting protein from all the bugs, you know, worms and insects and so forth. They still need that grain mix for sure. But it seems to be working. I mean, uh, we do make money on the eggs. They make a profit. Well, that's good. And I hope that that's a model then that other farmers raising chickens can follow. Yes. You know, in another year or so, we'll be able to write an article and show all the economics of it. Well, that'll be great. Look forward. I know a lot of farms have tried to do this and sort of fallen back onto giving the soy again. I know Kayla has said that if you don't have soy allergies, chickens that are fed soy for the egg content, you don't have too much to worry about. Is that something you would agree with? Well, I, you almost have to agree because there's just not a lot of soy-free eggs out there and we want people to eat eggs. So yes, I would agree with that, yes. It goes to what we were saying earlier about getting some form of these animal products is better than none at all. Eggs yes. are a very important thing. For me, that is pretty much my breakfast every day. And me too, with an extra yolk in my eggs. Oh, yeah. My scrambled eggs. The yolk is the most important part of the egg. Uh, we don't do any egg white omelets at the conference. We do lots of egg yolks. I know. That's another thing that gets me, that they throw out the most nutritious part of it. Yes, uh, that's right. We're just about out of time. Of course, I could talk for you hours more. <laughs> I've been talking about the Weston Price for oh, almost you. two years, so we could go on with this, but we're going to have to go. Before we go, tell the listeners once again where they can find the website for the Weston A. Price Foundation and learn more of what you're all about. So our website is WestonAPrice.org. That's W-E-S-T-O-N-A-P-R-I-C-E.org. And right there on the homepage, is a section called conferences and you can link to the conference in Atlanta and um, also our European conference in London next year. Uh, we have recordings from past conferences and so forth. So uh, yeah, um, go to the website. Sounds good, Sally. Glad to finally have you on this program. Thank you so much for having me, Aaron. And it sounds like you're actually not going to be there this year, but maybe next year we'll see you there. Yes, this year, not able to make it, but this year is hopefully the one time that that happens, but we'll be there next year, and I see myself as a part of this conference by doing this speaker series. Uh, excellent, excellent. Well, we have lots of wonderful speakers at the conference. I'm, I think it's over 40 speakers. Sally, it's been a treat having you. And now, for the desserts, how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. This Thursday, September 26th at 6.30 p.m., the Weston A. Price Pasadena will be hosting its monthly potluck. For September, there will be a DVD screening of the documentary Staten Nation. I had Staten Nation director Justin Smith on the program a couple weeks ago. The documentary talks all about the cholesterol cover-up and how statins are ruining people's health. The meeting will be held at the Nature Friends Clubhouse in Sierra Madre. Also this Saturday, September 17th, up in Santa Barbara from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. is the Seoul Food Festival. Seoul stands for Sustainable, Organic, and Local, and this is a one-day community festival that celebrates the local farmers, chefs, organizations, and individuals who are working to better our food system. The event will be held at Veracruz Park. For more information, check out the website soulfoodfestival.com. That's S-O-L Food Festival, which is all one word. And finally, this Sunday, September 29th, at MacArthur Park from 2 to 6 p.m. will be the non-GMO Corn Day celebration. Come and support the Latino community by saying no to GMO tortillas and GMO corn while celebrating great native corn that's been grown from generation to generation for over 10,000 years. The event includes speakers on trade agreements, homemade organic food, Latin jazz, storytellers, artisan vendors, and much more. For a more detailed list of events happening in the Pasadena and Los Angeles area, visit the community calendar on the Weston A. Price Pasadena's page at westonapricepasadena.blogspot.com. That's all for this week. Next week, I continue with the Wise Tradition Speaker Series as I interview Pete Kennedy, president of the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. For more information on my guests, as well as to be able to listen to past episodes of my podcast, visit my blog at appropriateomnivore.com. Thank you.
Thank you.